My name is Adam, one of the pastors here. Can I begin by saying thank you for the way you pray for our church? We know you're praying. And man, I have to tell you, I get emails every week from people. Hey, we're praying for your staff. We're praying for the pastors. You have no idea how encouraging that is. Thank you. Thank you. And while you are pulling out your Bible today, I want to share a prayer request, a specific request I'd love for you to take with you today. Ushers are coming down so that if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll be going to Luke like we always do. But will you pray for this? On Thursday of this week, Pastor Guy and I get on an airplane and we're flying to Egypt. And yeah, and um, we're going to the pyramids and then we're coming home. No, we're not. We're, uh, we're going to Egypt to, to scope out a new potential international ministry partnership. The ministry is called MEMO, Middle Eastern Missionary Organization. This is an organization that trains and equips Christians, predominantly Christians from Egypt, to take the gospel into the Arab-speaking world. And it appears to be an incredible gospel-centered ministry, and we want to learn more about it. So we're going over there. We'll be teaching a little bit, and we will be learning and watching and discerning. So pray for all that, but pray for our safety. So my, Brid- my daughter Bridget made it, made it um, known to me that apparently I failed to run this trip past her, all right? And she does, she does not approve. So she's a little worried about her dad, so pray for that. But just pray for our safety and all of that. And uh, thank you for doing that. And now will you turn with me to Luke chapter 11. You know, you can tell a lot about a church by the way the people in that church pray. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I'd like you to think about that today. You can tell a lot about a church by the way they pray there. How often they pray. If you went to a church, by the way, and they never prayed, that would tell you a lot about that church, wouldn't it? But not just how often they pray, but how that church prays. When they gather, what do they talk about? What do they cry out to God about? It would actually be a really great litmus to use if you found yourself visiting churches or church shopping. Many of us had to do that. We're visiting churches and we have all these criteria that we use. You know, we come into a church and we're checking it out and and we have a list of things we're looking for, you know. How hot is the coffee? How long is the service? How young is the preacher? How old is the preacher? How loud is the worship, right? But sometimes it's, it's important stuff. How, how gospel-centered is the message? What's the community like? We had a young man who came to our church about 10 years ago. Some of you have heard this story. His name was Andrew. He was a college student from Lewis and Clark. And when he, after he chose the church, he came back to us and he said, you know what? The, the rule that I used when I was church shopping, I called it the 20 Jesus rule. And he said, by the end of the service, if they've not said the name Jesus 20 times, I will never go back to that church. And he said, you guys said Jesus 20 times before you finished the announcements. I mean, the sermon hadn't even started, all right? Okay, but wait about, wait about this. What if when you went into a church and someone said, what are you looking for? You said, I'm looking for the way they pray. Because think about this. How you pray says everything about your deepest convictions. Isn't that true? We pray about stuff that we're convicted most about, even in community. 
And I think that's why one of the only times in the Gospel of Luke that the disciples specifically asked Jesus to teach them something, it was about prayer. Did you know that? They were around Jesus all the time. They never asked him to teach anything. But one time they said, Jesus, please teach us. And you know what the topic was? How to pray. Will you look at it with me? Luke 11. Our text today is verses 1 through 13, but I'm just going to read the first four verses to set the stage. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Famous. Lord's Prayer. Most people have heard it. Timothy Keller, Pastor Keller, he says, these may be the most recited words in human history. And he might be right. He might be wrong. I don't know. But his point is that's actually a problem. Because the problem is when you get super familiar with stuff, you start to take it for granted. One of the illustrations he uses is he talks about, you know, when you live near train tracks, you start to not even notice anymore the sound. None of you know this. But imagine you went to a friend's house and they lived near a train and the train went by and you'd be like, whoa. And you turn to your friend, what was that? It sounded like something was going to come to the wall. And your friend said, what? Oh, the train. I had forgotten it's even there, right? Well, the same thing could happen with the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, that prayer. Yeah, that prayer. But actually, when I read it, some of you noticed this prayer is a little different than what I'm used to. Did you notice that? It's a little shorter. So there's another version of this prayer in Matthew that's a slightly different context. And in this prayer, it's a little more succinct. It's a reminder that Jesus probably taught this prayer on more than one occasion. And for whatever reason, in this particular context, he gave a more concise version. And so a couple observations I want to make. First of all, Notice the prompt for this whole episode was that the disciples noticed how Jesus was praying. Isn't that interesting? Did you see that? Verse 1. They're watching Jesus, and I don't know what they saw, but whatever they saw was compelling enough that they finally grabbed him and said, teach us how to do it too. Teach us how to do it. And brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. This is so encouraging. This is a reminder. You, you, You have to learn how to pray. You get to learn how to pray. You and I both. And Jesus wants to teach you how to pray. You won't wake up one day and suddenly, oh, be an amazing prayer, okay? And so maybe you're intimidated by prayer. You think, oh man, praying out loud, never ask me to pray out loud. I'm so nervous about that. You know, that's like your deepest fear. You feel awkward when you pray. That's okay. We learn how to pray. In fact, praying, learning how to pray, and sometimes even those childlike prayers, when you're first getting started, you know how beautiful those are to God? He loves those prayers, the really childlike ones. I have this book in my office. I've had it for a long time. 
It's called Children's Letters to God. And this book is great. It's a, a, a couple of authors went to different churches and they just had the kids write down prayers that they pray to God and then they wrote them down. And, and the, the point of the book is to say, sometimes the prayers are irreverent. <laughs> sometimes the prayers are, are childish. Sometimes they're theologically not that great, but they're, they're so pure and heartfelt, right? Can I share just a couple of them with you? Here's one. This is from, this is from Joe. Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel wouldn't kill so much if they had their own rooms. It works with my brother. I like that. Here's one. Dear God, what's your favorite religion? Here's your choices. Baptist, Methodist, or Presbyterian? P.S. I'm a Presbyterian. Okay. I like that. This is from Peter. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp this summer. <laughs> That's good. Dear God, if you give me a genie lamp like Aladdin, I'll give you anything you want except my money or my chess set. Sincerely, Raphael. Okay, good. <clears throat> right? You have to learn how to pray. And Jesus wants to teach you how to pray. And you know what? You're never going to learn how to pray if you don't start trying to pray, practicing prayer. Isn't it interesting that the disciples wanted to learn how to pray and Jesus gave them a prayer to use? How amazing. Here's the second observation. Please look at the prayer itself. Did you notice this prayer, while it can be prayed privately, it is essentially a corporate prayer. This is a prayer the community prays. Notice how often the pronouns in the prayer are plural. Give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, when you pray, and in the Greek, the you is plural. When you all pray, he was speaking to a community. He gave them a gift, the church, a prayer that they could pray whenever they gathered. So the Lord's prayer could be prayed in your home. Roommates, you could pray the Lord's Prayer together. You should. Sit down. Let's pray. What should we pray? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Families, you could pray the Lord's Prayer around the dinner table. You could pray it with your children before they go to bed. Husbands and wives, you could pray the prayer together. Small groups, community groups, Bible studies, you could, you could and should pray this prayer. And most importantly, the church can and should pray the prayer together when we gather in community. And we're going to do that a little later in the service. But the prayer is corporate. Now, Jesus said, when you pray, say, and then he gave us these five phrases. And I think what Jesus has done there is he said, he's doing two things. He's saying, first of all, you could just say the words and make them your prayer. Just walk right through it. Hello, God. And then um, he's like, move to the next point. And then the other thing that Jesus is doing there is he's saying, I'm also, what I'm doing is I'm giving you a pattern. I'm, I'm wanting to set a rubric down in your heart that gives you ideas, themes, headlines that you can work through as you pray. So I was thinking about the fact that 
so I grew up in a more liturgical church, and I remember that I, had, I knew the Lord's Prayer before I was old enough to understand the gospel. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I didn't understand the prayer, but I knew it. I, it was in my heart. It was in my head. I could say it. I was a young, young, young kid because I had just been in a community where it was prayed over and over and over. And Jesus is saying, you can do it too. So what I did this week is I, I just asked different people throughout the week, different people in the church, how often do you take the Lord's prayer and, and use it to guide you? At home, in your small group. And lots of people said, I never even thought to do that. But what's interesting is that that's, a, that's precisely why Jesus gave us the prayer. Because he knew that the prayer will help you. You work through each phrase. And so here's what I'm going to do today. I have for you the five convictions of the Lord's Prayer. Convictions. Why am I calling them convictions? Because when you pray, your deepest convictions come out. Remember? And so what did Jesus do? He gave us these five headings. And what I want to do is I've just taken each phrase of this prayer and I've turned it into a conviction. Write these down, take them home, pray them at home, in your community group. But think about this. Conviction number one. Our highest priority is that God would be honored in his world. It's like our highest priority. Imagine every time the church gathered, or the community group gathered, or the husband and wife sat, what would, be, what would you say, priority number one, God, is that you would be honored. That's what we want most. Because that's what the word hallowed means in the prayer. Hallowed be your name. It's such a big church word that none of us even really knows what it means. It, the, the word is simple. It just means to, to revere, to to think of God and his name and set it apart as holy, totally other. When you pray, hallowed be thy name, what you're saying is, God, our deepest desire is that you would be honored in your world, that you would be revered, that your name and your fame would spread. Amazing. And the fact that Jesus places that request in the first spot tells us this was priority number one for Jesus. This is what he cared about most because it's priority number one for God, and therefore it should be priority number one for a church. God, please. Isn't it interesting? It's a prayer. So think about this for a minute. It's not a, a command. We're not saying to God, God, you know, hallow your name. We're praying about it. Whoa, that's different. What we're doing is we're saying, Lord, yes, this is something that only you can do, but we realize you want to do it in and through our church. That's what you want to do. And we want that too, God. Brothers and sisters, can I, will you think about this for a minute? Can you imagine the safety, the stability, the sense of security in knowing that you're a part of a church whose number one priority is that God would be honored in his world in that church? Whoa. And not just the pastors, the preachers, the staff, the whole, where every member, every man, woman, and child is saying, that's my priority too. I'm praying for that with my brothers and sisters. Amazing. 
Conviction number two. Our greatest hope is that Jesus would reign on earth. Our number one priority, God, is that you would be honored and our greatest hope is that Christ would reign. That's your kingdom come, right? Okay, your kingdom come. Now listen, that your kingdom come is like the classic train sound. We hear that phrase over and we're like, I don't even know what that means. What am I praying for? Your kingdom come. You know, Jesus talked about God's kingdom constantly. He talked about it constantly. And he said some interesting things about the kingdom. He always, when he talked about the gospel, he said the gospel is the announcement of God's kingdom. And he would say things like, the kingdom is actually among you now because I'm here. Kingdom, we're going to see Jesus talk about kingdom over and over in the next 10 chapters. What does this mean? You can summarize the entire Bible under the theme of kingdom. You're in the garden. God has created. In that moment, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are one and the same. Think of two circles. One of them is the kingdom, God's kingdom of heaven, and the other is the kingdoms of this earth. Did you know that in the garden, those two circles were on top of each other? It was one and the same. God was ruling perfectly, and the people, Adam and Eve, were following God's rule perfectly. And then what happened? Sin enters the world. A new kingdom enters. It's not God's kingdom. It's a earthly, foreign, wicked, broken, brutal, bloody kingdom, human sin. And the rest of the biblical story is God promising, one day I will send a new king. One day I will return. I will die for this mess, and I will bring those circles back together for all of eternity. The book of Revelation. And then the church here we are, and, and at some points, these two kingdoms begin to overlap slightly with the coming of Christ. But what is the church? When the church prays, your kingdom come, the church is saying, God, the answer to all of our prayers is that Jesus would come back and finish what he started. Please, God, we pray for Christ to return. What a prayer. The church gathers, and we look around the world, and we go, everything is so broken. Human kingdoms are wicked. What is the solution? Better politics? More money? No. The solution is Jesus, come back, please. Amen? This is the hope of brothers and sisters in Christ. Please, Jesus, come back and fix everything where there will be no more tears, no more injustice, no more brokenness, no more hurt. Jesus is the answer to your kingdom come. Now, Sometimes, before you can long for God's kingdom, you have to reject your own, right? Before you can long for Christ to be on the throne, you have to realize that you have been sitting on it. You're like, I'm warming it up for you, Jesus. And he's like, I didn't ask you to do that, okay? And you have to say, wait a minute, I'm trying to build my own kingdom. And this is part of the problem. What I want most is Christ's kingdom. So there's a repentance and a humility to this prayer. It's so beautiful. Please, Jesus, return. Your kingdom come. It's conviction number two. Conviction number three. 
write these down. I can't take too much time with them. The, the best way to learn these convictions is to pray them. Conviction three, only the Father can meet our needs today. He's the only one. That's give us this day our daily bread. Give us Now, daily bread, remember, this phrase, daily bread, this would be like one of those references that would take you back to a story in the Old Testament. We, we called it a hyperlink a couple weeks ago. You read and you're like, wait a minute, that's, that's linking me some, to another story. And, and if you've read the Bible, you know that story is in the book of Exodus when the people are in the wilderness. They've been, they've been freed out of slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness and they're starting to get hungry and they're starting to grumble. Moses, why'd you bring us out here to die? We had pots of meat in Egypt and garlic and cucumbers. And the reader's going, you had none of that stuff, all right? You were slaves. But there they are and, they're, and they are complaining and Moses cries out to God, please, God, do something. Just These people are driving me nuts. And God says, I'm gonna send them bread from heaven every day, daily bread. I don't know if you know this. Go back and read the story today, Exodus 16. The story's fascinating because here's what God tells them to do. Every day, go out and I will provide the manna, that's the bread, and they would pick up the manna and God said, you can collect as much manna as you need for today, but don't try to save any up for tomorrow. Because if you keep it, I get whatever, whatever amount you keep by morning, it will be rotten. And it was. They would try to save it up. We're not going to trust you for tomorrow, Lord. We're going to save. And then they would wake up and the bread would be rotten. Why? So they would learn to trust God every day for daily bread. They would say, God, give us today our daily bread. Thank you, Lord. And we trust you tomorrow when we wake up, you'll provide again. What a prayer. And the church gathers and we say, God, only you can do this. Now we have a problem as Americans and our problem is we very rarely know what it feels like to be hungry or to wonder where will my next meal come from? But much of our world lives like that every day, waking up, how will I put food on the table? That's not totally true because what I want to remind you of is right here in our community, right here in our own church, there are people who, and some of you, you've come in today and you have a need and you're like, Lord, how is this need going to be met? This is today's need. I'm really scared about this. Right? So here's what happens. The church gathers. We pray, God, give us our daily bread. We thank God. We trust God. And as we pray, we start to look around at our neighbors Say, Father, is there anyone here who has a need that I can meet through your generosity in my life? Some of the most beautiful stories in our church have been stories where you, and I know you have, I've heard these stories where you hear of a need, someone sitting next to you, and you just meet the need out of God's generosity in your life. Not even realizing God just answered, give us this day our daily bread in that person's life through you and your generosity, and your obedience. Awesome. Our number one priority is that God would be honored. Our greatest hope is that Christ would reign. Only God can meet our needs today. Conviction number four. 
The nuclear core of the gospel is forgiveness. It's like all the power is there in the middle of the gospel, and it's this, it just goes right in the middle of the prayer. It's so powerful. Last week, the social media world went crazy with an image of a young black man hugging a female white police officer. Many of you saw this image. Many of you heard this story. This was the most amazing, touching moment. This was a moment where this man, his brother, had been killed by this police officer. And in the courtroom moment, it was a sentencing. She got sentenced to 10 years in prison. But when they got to the moment where the victims get to talk and kind of share their experience as a victim, the the young man who was accidentally killed, his brother spoke, and his brother basically took his time to extend forgiveness to the police officer. So powerful. It was controversial, I get it, okay? But it was powerful. Can Can I just read you a little bit of what he said? This is from a manuscript. This man's name was Brant. His brother's name was Botham. He said, he said, if you are truly sorry, I can speak for myself. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God to ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't, I don't think anyone else can say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, but I want you to know that I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die. I presently want what's best for you. And I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And then he said, the best thing you could do is to give your life to Jesus Christ. Amazing. So, and you know what he did next? He said, he turned to the judge. He said, I know this is so weird, but can I give her a hug? So powerful. And there, you could hear the awkward, like, wait a minute, should we do this? Is this protocol? And the judge said, yes. And, he, and they stepped down and they hugged. And it was like silence. And then you could hear people just sobbing. So powerful. And I was thinking about that and I realized, I remembered, we've heard a story like that over the years, those kind of stories pop up, radical forgiveness. Do you want to know what the number, the only common ingredient is in that story? Jesus. It's only people who have experienced the grace of Jesus. Because the grace of Jesus is like a nuclear bomb that goes off in your heart. So Jesus, he's so wise. He says, come into community and pray. Bring all your sins. Jesus knows. I know when you come out of the world, you you come in burdened. You come in battered. You're broken. You've made mistakes. Bring those into the presence of God. And then say, God, forgive us. Forgive us, please. Jesus used the concept of debt, okay? 
Do you see that in your Bible when he says, for we forgive those who are indebted to us? The word debt makes this radical. That's what makes it so crazy. Because what Jesus is saying is all sin causes a debt. I owe God things. And so to come before God's presence and to say, God, will you wipe away that debt is a radical thing to ask for. If you don't believe me, tomorrow morning, pick up the phone and call your mortgage company and say, will you wipe away that debt? Okay, see what they say. All right, I tried this. No, I didn't. But it's a radical claim. And you know what happens? The community comes before God. We say, God, forgive us our debts. And God goes, okay. And then a bomb goes off in your heart. And you realize, how could I possibly withhold forgiveness from anyone? So you're praying. And you haven't, sometimes you haven't even forgiven yourself. You're punishing yourself. And then you pray, no, God, forgive me. God wipes it away. And then God says, now start looking around the room. Who am I withholding unforgiveness from? Who am I punishing through my actions or my words or my silence? Who am I holding in my debt? And God says, pray about that. Let the nuclear core of forgiveness go off in your heart and then forgive. And why would God say that? Because he knows forgiveness is freedom. It's freedom. Amen? Amen. The nuclear core. So powerful. Conviction number five. We are spiritually defenseless without Jesus. That's the prayer. Lead us not into temptation. At one level, let me say, at at the surface level, this prayer is straightforward. God, please, as, as as a church family and even me as an individual, I don't even want to face temptation. Please protect me from it because I know I will blow it. We pray that together. But here's the other thing I want you to realize. That language is exactly the same language that appears in another place in Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to put this on the screen. Think about this. Lead us not into temptation. Now look what happened to Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. So Jesus tells his church to pray that God would protect them from something that he himself experienced. It's as if Jesus is saying, I've been there and I've done that. And believe me, you want no part of that. Okay, you don't want this. Jesus is saying, please, pray. God, we pray that we will not experience what Christ experienced. Why? Because Christ, fully God, fully human, came to die for our sin, to die for the sin that would be the result of that temptation. Jesus says, you don't have to face temptation without me. I already went into the wilderness to face it for you. Don't be a hero. Don't stand out in front. Don't think you can take it. You can't take it. Pray for God to protect you. Amazing. So the church gathers and we pray. Lord, protect us. Protect our church. Yes, protect me. Protect me, but protect our church. May our church never wander away into false teaching, aberrant theology. Protect us, Lord. 
from temptation, from what's happening in our world. Protect me, protect our church. And we just start praying. Amazing. Did you know that when we pray as a church, we give expression to our deepest convictions? Our deepest convictions. And so we're going to pray this prayer together in just a moment. But before we do, we have one more lesson to learn. Part of the passage we haven't read yet. We look back, look back at it, Luke 11. We need to read verses 5 to 13. This will just take a minute. Jesus has taught his disciples how, what to pray, and next he's going to teach them how to pray it. It's like the what and the how. The Lord's prayer is what to pray. What we're going to read next is, and here's, how, here's how I want you to do it. Tune in, verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. In, that, in the ancient world, there were no markets, no 24-hour mini-marts. If you were out of bread, you were out of bread. You'd have to go to a neighbor. So he goes to his neighbor, lend me some bread. And what if his friend said to him from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. In the ancient world, the houses were very small. There was one bedroom and the whole family slept in there, one living room. So for this friend to get out of bed, he would have to rustle and wake the kids, okay? So he says, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet, because of his impudence, we'll talk about that word, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find familiar words. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives... And the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who seek him? Amazing. Jesus is saying, now let me tell you how to pray. And the key to how you should pray is this odd little word right there in verse 8. Look at your Bible. It's this word impudence. It, it just jumps off the page because most of us are like, I've never heard that before in my life. And I don't care to hear that word again. Impudence, what does it mean? It's a really hard word to translate in the Greek, which is why we just decided impudence. But it basically, it's two concepts. The first concept is boldness. And the second concept is shamelessness. Like, I don't even care what anyone thinks. I'm going to ask for this. And I'm going to keep asking. Impudence. Jesus says, what should you pray? The Lord's Prayer. How should you pray it? With boldness and shamelessness. Cry out to God like a child asking for breakfast. And you just Please, God. The opposite of impudence would be sheepishness and you're second-guessing yourself. And Jesus says, don't pray like that. Come with courage. Come with boldness. It's not that we're prying things out of God. 
everything that we're praying for, God already wants to give. Because in the parables, God is like a father, heavenly father, right? So you can come before him, God, with boldness and, and, and shamelessness and ask because you know, God, you're good. When you read the parable, you're thinking, what kind of a monster would give his daughter a scorpion when she asked him for breakfast? Who would do that? What kind of a neighbor would deny his neighbor because he doesn't want to wake up the kids? Who would do that? And then as you're reading, you re- and, then, and then you realize, if, if you and I who are evil and we're sinful and we're broken, if even we would answer those prayers, how much more would our Heavenly Father long to bless us with generosity? Amazing. Especially when you read the last phrase which is the reminder that the answer to every one of our prayers is God pouring out his Holy Spirit on us. God, we pray your name would be honored in this world. Okay, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit. God, we pray your kingdom would come and you'd help us to live like kingdom people until that day. Okay, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit. God, would you meet our daily needs? Yes, I will pour out my Holy Spirit. God, would you cause forgiveness to erupt in our hearts? Yes, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit. God, would you protect us? Yes, I'll pour out my Holy Spirit. Amazing. Should you pray this prayer in your community group? 100%. I'm asking you to do it. Pray this prayer. Moms and dads, should you pray this prayer at bedtime with your kids? 100%. Jesus gave us a gift. Husbands and wives, should you pray this together? 100%. Should we pray this when we gather as a church? 100%. Should we pray it right now? Yes. Good job. See what I did there? Should we pray this? Of course we should. And we're going to do it right now. And so what... This is going to be a little different, okay? So this is, uh, the sermon is going to turn into worship. And I'm going to stay here for a moment. The the worship team is going to come, though. And what we're going to do is we're going to experience now the Lord's Prayer together. I'm going to walk us through it. Now, if you're new to church, don't worry. I'm not going to make you do anything. If If you're not there yet and you're checking this out, just just relax and just observe, be a part of it. Hopefully you'll be blessed. But if you consider River West your home church, then I'm, I'm all, let's, we're praying this as a community because this is a corporate prayer. So you can close your Bibles and I'm going to put phrase one of the prayer up there and I'm going to ask you now to bow your heads. And will you start with word one? Just think about that for a moment. Now, wait a minute. Who am I talking to? Lord, who are we talking to in this moment? Oh, wait. We're talking to our Heavenly Father. Not a distant God. Not even a father like many of our earthly fathers. Even the best earthly father pales in comparison to you, Heavenly Father. 
And so we want to pray. We want to pray priority number one, God, for our lives, for our church, that your name would be honored in this world. Please, Father, answer that prayer and use our church. We want to be a part of it, God. One of the ways that we honor God's name is we speak his attributes out loud. I'd like to try something. You've, you know the attributes of God, his traits. For the next minute, can we just speak those out loud? Don't be shy. Just whatever comes to your mind, say it, speak it out. You could say something like faithfulness. Just speak an attribute of God. Speak it out, out loud. Slow to anger. Gracious and kind. Thank you. Father, you're all those things. Compassionate, merciful, kind, slow to anger, forgiving, holy, all-knowing, perfect, true, trustworthy. We pray our community would come to know you as that God. Thank you, Lord. And now we pray your kingdom come. In the quiet here, will you just cry out, God, please, please, we pray for the return of Christ. As you pray that, think of the things in our world where there's brokenness and hurt and recognize Jesus is the answer to all of these things. We need you, Jesus. Just in the quiet of your heart, would you pray for that? God, would you please meet our needs today? Give us today our daily bread. As you pray that right now, thank God for his generosity in your life. But also, would you think about your neighbor? Some of us have abundance and we could pray, Lord, would you show me someone who has need today? Someone I could love? Pray for that. Pray for our world. Pray for the global church. Let's take a few moments of quiet to pray for this. Thank you, Father. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who are indebted to us, Lord. For this one, I want, to, I want to pray this together. I'm going to put a corporate prayer on the screen. You can open your eyes and will you pray this with me together out loud? Let's say this together. Father, we believe you when you say in your word that people who have their sins forgiven are truly blessed. We believe you when you tell us that people who keep silent about sin 
or try to hide sin experience deep anguish and disintegration. Father, we believe you when you tell us that Jesus Christ became sin for us, that for our sake, you made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we believe you, and so we come today to confess our sins to you, Lord. We're not going to cover them up anymore. We're not going to pretend they're not there. We're going to acknowledge them, trusting with great hope that you have forgiven, are forgiving, and will continue to forgive. And finally, Father, we believe you when you tell us that there is great freedom in forgiving those who are in our debt. We pray for the desire and power to forgive others as you have forgiven us. Soften our stubborn hearts today with your grace. Show us those relationships where we have been withholding forgiveness. Overwhelm us and open us up by your love, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Now you personalize that in the quiet of your heart, bow your heads. Thank God for forgiveness. Hey, brother or sister, are you pounding yourself for your sin right now? Are you saying with your mouth, Jesus died for my sin, but with your actions and with your thoughts, but I'm, I'm going to punish myself for it? God wants you to leave that at the cross today. And then he wants you to forgive that person that you're bitter towards. Let it go today. Thank you, Lord. And finally, we pray, Lord, together, lead us not into temptation. Protect us. Would you pray right now for our church? Father, protect us. We need you, Jesus. You're the leader of our church. Go before us. You are the king. You went into the desert on our behalf. You faced our spiritual enemy. You are our warrior. And Jesus, you went to the cross. We trust you. We're standing behind you and your righteousness, not just as individuals, but as a church. We trust you, Jesus. Lead us, protect us, guide us, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. And as your community, as your family, we pray all these things because we're convicted about them. And so would you drive those convictions even deeper in our hearts today, we pray. And we say all of these things together in Jesus' holy name. Everyone said, amen.